Hello and welcome to Book Reviews Kill, a podcast about fantasy, sci-fi, and horror novels. I'm Evan. And I'm Chad. And you're joining us today for our recap and discussion of Aragon, book one of the Inheritance Cycle by Christopher Paolini. Well, that was a straight-down-the-middle fantasy book, if I've ever read one. (laughs) Classic as classic can be. I don't know if he went out of his way to put in every fantasy novel trope but uh (laughs) there is certainly a graveyard (laughs) of tropes that this story is woven around which you know tropes exist for a reason so i know yeah i loved it thing it's a it's a nom nom delicious book that's for sure yeah this is my third time reading this book it's so (laughs) and i haven't read any of the other ones i feel like it's it's almost a standalone, except for the very end, which like the very last couple paragraphs even are just like, okay, here comes the sequel. Here we go. It feels pretty self-contained. Um, Aragon really has a pretty good arc here, but I want to discuss Aragon's character, obviously, because um, I feel like Aragon's a little bit different than your normal reluctant protagonist in this situation. Christopher Paolini did a really good job at kind of just... He's a little off kilter. He's just a little bit different. He's a little um, overzealous, <laughs> overzealous and, and annoying sometimes. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I mean, but he's like, what, 15, 16? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think any 15 or 16 year old in that situation, if you were Brahm, if you were the uh, the old person that had to give all this life of advice, you'd just be like, man, this is I can't with oh, this boy. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't with this guy. He wants to just kill he has... everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, he has Safira, who, though younger than him in literal age, has like the wisdom of dragons built into her brain. And so she kind of helps guide him along and chastises him when when it's needed. So, yeah, I'm excited to get into a lot of this here with you, Chad. I mean, I know that this series is really near and dear to your heart. You spent a lot of time reading these. For some reason, I just never really moved on to Eldest or Brissinger. And then Inheritance came out. And I guess that's the last book, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, cool. So Yeah, and yeah, I've we... only read up through Bursinger the, the first three. Oh, okay. So yeah, we both haven't even read the last one. So that's pretty cool. It's also been so long since my first read through of the first three that I'm kind of like rediscovering this story as I read. Like I couldn't tell you what happens during the next book. Like, I know some of the general outline, but the specifics still elude my memory. So it's really nice. Yeah, it set up some some mystery here. I'm excited to get into the second one. But before we do that, let's do the recap and have a nice discussion about this. Let's do it. The book begins with Durza, a shade commanding a group of Urgles to ambush a party of elves and steal the egg they carry. The Urgles slay two elves, and the third teleports the egg elsewhere before Durza captures her. While hunting in a treacherous tract of land called the Spine, Aragon sees an explosion and finds a strange blue stone in the aftermath. Aragon is a 15-year-old boy who has lived with his uncle Garrow and his cousin Rorin on a farm near the village of Carvajal, left by his mother 15 years before. After trying and failing to sell the stone to buy meat, a baby dragon cracks through its shell and bonds with Aragon, giving him a silver mark on his hand. Aragon names the dragon Saphira, after one of the dragons of legend described by Brom, the village storyteller. Aragon raises the dragon in secret until two of King Galbatorix's servants, the Razak, arrive in Carvajal. Aragon and Saphira escape and hide in the spine, but Garrow is fatally wounded and the farm is burned down by the Razak. Once Garrow dies, Aragon and Saphira begin a vengeful hunt of the Razak. Brom, the village storyteller, insists on accompanying him and Saphira, and gives Aragon a sword called Zarak. Aragon becomes a dragon rider through his bond with Saphira. He is the only known rider in Alagazia, other than King Galbatorix, who, with the help of the now-dead Forsworn, a group of rogue riders, killed every other rider 100 years ago. As they travel, Brom teaches Aragon sword fighting, magic, the ancient elvish language, and the ways of the dragon riders. They travel to the city of Term, where they meet with Brahm's friend, Jode. Aragon's fortune is told by a witch named Angela, and her companion, the werecat Sullumbum, gives Aragon mysterious advice. With Jode's help, they finally track the Razak to the city of Drasleona. They manage to infiltrate the city, but are forced to flee after a run-in with the Razak. 
That night, they are ambushed by the Razak. A stranger named Murtog rescues them, but Brom is mortally wounded. Brom gives Aragon his blessing, reveals that he was once a dragon rider with a dragon named Saphira, and dies. Saphira uses magic to encase Brom in a diamond tomb. After Brom's hasty funeral, Aragon and Murtag make for the city of Gilead, seeking information on how to find the Varden, a group of rebels working toward the downfall of Galbatorix. Near Gilead, Aragon is captured and imprisoned in a jail that holds a female elf he has been having reoccurring dreams about. Murtag and Saphira stage a rescue, and Aragon brings the unconscious elf along. After fighting Durza, Murtag seemingly kills him with an arrow shot through his head, and they escape. Aragon telepathically communicates with the elf, named Arya, who reveals she has sent the egg to him accidentally. From her, he learns the location of the Varden. Murtag is reluctant to journey to the Varden, revealing that he is the son of Morzon, former leader of the Forsworn. An army of Kull, an elite squad of Urgles, chase Aragon, Saphira, Murtag, and the still unconscious Arya to the Varden's headquarters, but is driven off by the Varden, who escort the party to Farthendur, their mountain hideout. Aragon then meets the leader of the Varden, Ajihad. Ajihad imprisons Murtag after he refuses to allow his mind to be read to determine his allegiance. Aragon is told by Ajihad that Murtag failed to kill Durza, as the only way to kill a shade is a stab through the heart. Oric, nephew of the dwarf, King Hrothgar, is appointed as Aragon and Saphira's guide. Aragon also meets Ajihad's daughter, Nasuada, and Ajihad's right-hand man, Jormander. He is surprised to see Angela and Solombum again, and visits Murtag in prison. His magical abilities are tested by two magicians known as the Twins, as well as his physical competency which is tested by the now-recovered elf, Arya. He performs well and passes both tests. Aragon and the Varden are then attacked by an immense Urgle army. Aragon personally battles Durza again, and after a grueling mental battle, is overwhelmed by Durza, who slashes him across the back. Arya and Saphira shatter Isidar Mithrim, a large sapphire that formed the roof of the chamber, to distract Durza, allowing Aragon to stab him through the heart with his sword. He falls into a coma and is visited telepathically by a stranger, who tells Aragon to visit him in the elven capital, Elesmira. He wakes up with a scar across his back and resolves to journey to Elesmira. Man, I really liked the ending of this book a lot because it's just this big bombastic ending and then it that's it. There's no recovery. There's no, I mean, there's a little scene like that last chapter where they're all kind of together. I like that Safira is too big to come into the room. So she just like snakes her head in there. <laughs> snakes that her was, head in there. Yeah. I like, that was a nice touch. Um, that was a good visual, but yeah, it was, it was an exciting battle. Um, like that big thing in the ceiling, like exploding as like a distraction. And then Aragon, just that last thrust through Durza's heart like that. And then it's done. And it, it was so well put together and so clean. succinct and clean. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was just everything that I like in an ending to a first fantasy book. It's setting some stuff up. We're not lingering for too long with how everybody's feeling or anything. That's it. That's the end. And we can move on to the next one. It was good. Right, the whole like Murtag being thrown in prison. The prison though is like very nice and he's just got a room. He like I really liked how he quickly becomes at peace with it. Like, ah, I'd basically be hanging out in my room all the time anyway because no one <laughs> yeah. would like me because I'm Morzan, like everyone's sworn enemy's son. And uh, you know, I'm pretty much at peace with it. I'm content. And then the battle happens and everyone's like, Yeah, actually, we don't really care about like petty whose son is who. Like, if you got a sword, you want to fight, like join the party. Yeah, and they know he's good too. Like he's gotta be good. And totally. it gives, I like Murtag a lot. Um Aragon and Murtag getting in an argument in the desert like that was one of the most refreshing scenes in this whole book because they're like two teenage kids in, <laughs> in a really stressful situation. And uh, Paolini like really captured that. I mean, they were they were kind of slowly picking at each other a little bit. And then he was just like, oh, this is going to get uh, this is not good. 
Right. And it's very realistic in that, like, if you were a 15 year old going through, if you, if you were a 15 year old in that situation, it's very likely that you would be kind of like grumble, grumble. I'm just like the pack horse guy. You're the <laughs> oh, yeah, dragon rider. Like, yeah. great. This is so cool. Oh, cool. Run off and fly to the Varden with your dragon. I'll just carry our suitcases. Yeah. I totally got that. Yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. Talking, that was really valid. Yeah. Speaking of the desert, um, the, <laughs> So I'm like cracking myself just thinking about this. So <laughs> there's a part where uh, Murtog, Aragon, and Safira are basically kind of trying to figure out how to deal with Arya's unconscious deadweight form. Right, and she's been unconscious for like two weeks at this and point. And then they decide to strap her to Safira's <laughs> stomach. And I... <laughs> the the visual of that like aria aria just like limp like head lolling just flying strapped to safira's stomach i oh, like couldn't get that out of my head it's even worse than that they say specifically because i remember chuckling about this too that they make <laughs> ropes out of uh blankets and extra clothes so they have like sweaters and like t-shirts and stuff like tied together around this dragon like how they have enough blankets and clothes to wrap around the dragon and it's like okay it makes uh, sense like, like, that's the only like, way yeah falling or something like man I don't... <laughs> it just seems so like undignified like I, I wonder if aragon is like well i just won't like send that mental image to her yeah she's being jostled swinging about <laughs> Sophia's like banking around even though i've read this book like this is my third time i feel like you have a, a closer connection to it and i wanted to ask you some questions that maybe got answered in the book but maybe i overlooked but um one of my chief questions here is how did aragon get so fluent in the ancient language like to the point he's not having like full conversations but he's saying like full fluent phrases not even just for magic um like uh, one example is aria when um aragon and aria are kind of communicating telepathically when aria is unconscious mm -hmm. um she tells him when you get to the Varden, say this phrase, and it's like a pretty long phrase, and like he says it perfectly. I think it would have been cool if um, he had forgotten it or something when they had got to write there. it down and was yeah, like maybe. fumbling just, with something. Yeah, it seemed like it seemed like too too much, and and it's funny because I can really I'm really okay with like like Aragon's abilities. You know what I mean? Like his mm -hmm. his swordman his swordsmanship and everything. He's a dragon rider. Like this dragon picked Aragon for a reason and I'm very okay with sitting with that. But I I kind of draw the line at like literally learning a new language. I don't know if that's just me nitpicking, but it just seemed weird. It seemed odd that he maybe Brom and Aragon had been in the forest and traveling a lot longer than is like apparent. You know? I mean, they definitely have some like days become weeks, weeks become months of them just like traveling and training. So I think that's probably where like Paulini would point you at. But still, for if they would have said like, Aragon, you've progressed to a point that for the next three weeks, we're only speaking in the elder language maybe, or something yeah. that would have maybe made me believe it a little more, too. But because I remember thinking while I was reading it too, like, wow, Aragon is just fully competent about this language that he's basically just been learning words of that yeah. are directly linked to like the power that he uses it's like so difficult and he I just feel like... found out about this language sorry yeah. not to interrupt you, but it's no, like no, it's not good. like this language was around in in um the village that he was living in or anything like that and he had heard snatches of it from other people it's like no he's just learning that this language right. even exists and, now, and then he's not in a setting where he's using it all the time, which I think would yeah. be the easiest way. Like I would have believed it if he was living with the elves in that amount of time and he was just using it. So it's like this saturation that he's constantly being inundated with this language. But he's just like learning random words like fire, persinger, <laughs> like <laughs> No, but I mean I don't know. I think you can I think with a lot of this though, is um and kind of like what I'm doing with his swords swordsmanship abilities and um even his magic abilities that he has. Maybe you could just chalk it up to him being a dragon rider. There's these skills that maybe, I don't know much about the lore of, of these books or really how the magic system works. I'm, I hope it goes into more detail about that. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe it's just, he's a dragon rider. So these things come really naturally to him. That's kind of what I was saying to myself right like, you made a really good point of like he was the one that safira chose thus yeah, it's safe to assume thing. he's like very competent mentally physically magically etc how do you feel about how aragon 
kind of took all of this not only the realization that he's a dragon rider this is a dragon like those beginning things i feel like his his reaction uh, made a lot of sense but i was really impressed with kind of just how he took most of this in stride like yes he was stressed out but by the time he gets to the varden and he's in this compound I, f- I feel like he's doing a pretty good job kind of being saddled with you're the last dragon rider apart from th- this evil king that probably wants to kill you maybe right. not but probably how'd you feel about that I mean, and just to kind of add on to what you're saying and to answer your question, you know, he's also now being pulled politically by all these different forces who have uses for him. They want him on their side. Um, And then also, you know, just the general populace, you know, every time he goes out into the open, he gets swarmed by the um, civilians, for lack of a better term, who are like, bless my child, do this, do that. And so it's like. I think that he did a very good job. I also think that Paulini did a good job in weaving in some self-doubt. You know, there's times where Aragon's like, man, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. And then Safira is kind of like the, the angel on his shoulder that can be like, yes, but you know, maybe that's not even the best thing to think about. You are that. And so let's move forward. Like those are useless thoughts. Um, And, and I found it was very realistic in that, like, you know, so Aragon has this dragon. He's obviously becoming something beyond himself and much more than like the farmer hunter that he was, the peasant back in Carvajal. And he's still like being kind of snotty to his brother, Roran, who like has this opportunity to go work in the mill. And he's like, great, just like leave me. And it's like, <laughs> you have like a dragon that you're training that you're not even telling <laughs> him secret. about. Like you have no ground to stand upon. Um so I don't know. I felt that was pretty, but it was like realistically. Like, yeah. It made me be like, Aragon, you suck. But at the same time, like he's 15, he is going to be feeling these thoughts and he's going to be doubting himself. I mean, I would be, yeah. like, I'm twice I his age him. and I would be. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? Uh, Cause I thought this maybe was a little premature when he kills Durza at the end, stabs him through the heart. One of his first things that he thinks afterwards is like, I have become the thing that Ajihad told me, which I should, which is a authority all on my own, not ruled by any king or you know, what did you think about that? Did you think that he that was earned or if it was a little premature? Because you remember thinking like, I'm that now. Yes. Well, it's interesting, like the way that that was structured, because he had kind of already given he had already kind of implied that by himself in his first conversation with Ajihad. So. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it felt like he had already kind of come to that conclusion and then he just like kind of came to it again. No, I'm super um, that. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, I... you know, I'm really I'm really glad that we read the Dark Tower because the idea of Kaw is now woven into my reading <laughs> experience because, yeah. you know, I kept kind of like rolling my eyes a little bit and then like kind of awesome that you have Brahm along with you like the one guy who has dragon riding experience Brahm's like oh I'll do one better I know how to make a dragon saddle it was just yeah. like oh <laughs> of course you do he's also a master swordsman master magicker master everything that Aragon needs to help shape him towards and prepare him for his future troubles um is like perfectly there you know I mean I think that the the Brahm thing I I, I hear what you're saying for sure um, I think that they did a pretty good job. I think it was Arya that was explaining, or maybe I can't remember who it was. Either Arya or Ajihad or somebody was explaining how Brom kind of like came to be in Carvajal. That whole situation. And that, that's what I was kind of waiting for. I forgot that that happened in this book, and I was waiting for that little slice, uh, that little nugget of of information, and we got it. So that was really nice, and it kind of made sense then that like, okay, so Brom was kind of in league with the Varden and. And he had kind of ended up in Carvajal because of all these different things that happened. And that is where Aragon happened to be. That is a stroke of luck. But I feel like Brom took a shine to Aragon. And I like to believe saw something in him before Saphira did. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's, I feel like you can't look too hard into it because this I just is like, Caw. I mean, <laughs> you know, the, the story's got to happen. You know, totally. <laughs> and and as level. we've said in previous um, podcasts, you know, this story was written about him. Like, there's a reason why this story was written about him, because special things do happen. Special circumstances do happen. And like the stars do kind of align, you know, uh, my one like what 
thing, and I want your opinion on this, was Braum letting Aragon kind of lead the quest for like his revenge journey. Like the whole reason they leave is to pursue the Razak. And so Aragon can kill them and get revenge. Like obviously if he stumbles across him right away, he is like very much not prepared for this fight and maybe still isn't. And Brahm's like totally down. Like, yeah, let's go get him. And then they go all over the place. What are your thoughts on that whole plan? On, on Brahm being okay with Aragon going going and getting revenge. Um, I don't know. Brom is an interesting character because he's so guarded about Aragon and he's so uh, intense about his training and, and about him not messing anything up and not doing anything that's going to put his own life in danger. But it's like the whole mission that they're on is one of those. I guess that is, I didn't really think about that. I'm like trying like, to answer this question. But even also, after all the like, training, yeah. the first time he encounters the Rus, he's like, Run! and then later he's like, if it was just them, I made a student fight. But they also had soldiers, so... I had to run. It was like, and then later they're being pursued by the Razak and they're like, we can't get caught. And it was like, well, the whole first part of the book, you were chasing them. Now they're chasing you. It was like, well, I mean, just, getting chased is more dangerous than chasing somebody. Yeah, right? that's true. I mean, because you could get, su- well, you can get surprised, you know, but it's like, were you really just depending on surprise being like your one ace in the hole? To what I'm going to, what I'm going to say is that Brom sees like brahm has has discovered a dragon rider and is going to stay with this dragon rider maybe he thought aragon was so headstrong he wasn't going to be dissuaded from mm. this kind of like vengeful quest that he was on i mean maybe brahm like agreed with him and was like yeah let's go get him um but yeah the whole brahm training aragon thing is probably my least favorite part of the book which is weird because it's not bad. It's just too much. Like it's too much information at once. You know, like something will happen. Like Aragon, they go to this village, and Aragon says Brissinger and passes out, and then he wakes up, and they have a question and answer session, and that's fine. But we do it like five times in a row, so many of, times, and it's like very consistent. And I realize that Brahm is a tool to like give give us the reader a lot of exposition that not only informs us but it's a it's from a source that makes a lot of sense right right totally fine um i just think it was it was a lot it it started to feel kind of like formulaic and just kind of tedious after a while it's like okay now we got to sit down and talk to Brown about this other thing that happened a while ago and but the things that happened a while ago were interesting you know it didn't turn me off from reading it or anything but um definitely like a lot of delivery in a yes. short amount of time yeah i don't know how else it could have been done because totally. you obviously yeah. don't want aragon to show up at um the with the varden and all like lame you want him to be cool and al- already a master swordsman but i don't know as a practitioner of martial arts myself it does seem kind of like kind of like with the language thing it was like cool like three to six months into his training he's like one of the best swordsmen in he's a the, dragon on the planet he's a dragon rider like, i'm so fine with that yeah like i, I, I really i can totally suspend my disbelief because the drag like the dragon riders were built up from a pretty early point in the book and and keeping them built up like that was like it's a good thing to do right i mean like it's yeah, the, like they, the connection was saying it gave him like reflexes and stuff. Is that yeah, what you're kind of okay? Yeah, that's okay. totally fine with me. Yeah, I'm I'm cool with like magic powers that you know are unbelievable as long as the reason that they're unbelievable is believable. You know? Yeah. Okay. I feel what you're saying. I mean, it didn't bug me too much. It just seemed like wow. He's okay. He's a master swordsman now. I did really like Let's the fact go. that Arya crushed him. <laughs> yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> I mean, even Brom. There's a part where I think it's Brom that says. Oh, you would never win in a fight with an elf. There's right, no way. Right. No, even the weakest, nor physically. He says something like, "Even the weakest elf would overpower you, like the strongest human, or something like that." Yeah, I really like that a lot. Okay, this is this is another question. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to know how is Aragon did did the did the mark on Aragon's palm give him all of those abilities, like because of his connection with Sephira? Or was he always a dragon rider, and that's why Safira picked him, right? And like the reason I started down this train of thought is like he's suddenly able to kind of like mind meld with animals, totally right. acceptable power. I, I'm here for it. I get it. But was he always able to do that? And then 
just happened to never do that with an animal until this moment? Or did Safira giving him like the, the little brand on his hand make him now able to access those powers? But if he's only now able to access those powers after getting the, the Safira brand, how does Safira know to crack around him? That's kind of like right. <laughs> what I'm not I, getting. I think... I think that it was kind of like a potential thing. Like if he would have oh. been trained in magic, he could have achieved some of his magical abilities without Safira. Um, but Safira was like, okay, I see the potential in him that he has this. And then that brand kind of builds like a, a bridge across the valley in his oh, mind that allows okay. him to like access easier the magical like potential within him okay yeah see that was like a thing that i wasn't super clear on is like is the dragon like literally giving these people powers you know i mean and that wasn't clear to me kind of yes i don't know (laughs) helping she was an an aid and an enabler yes an enabler exactly now what happens if he gets his hand chopped off with his symbol i have no idea (laughs) <laughs> oh my god i didn't even think about that <laughs> speaking of safira though i safira is my favorite character i love how safira okay so the way that safira is written is is really clever i liked it a lot because and she even says it like i'm a fairly i'm like a a, re, a newborn dragon but i've got the knowledge of all these other dragons it's it makes for such a cool character because she is really wise in a lot of in a lot of different ways but she's also very much like Aragon in that she's so down to murder. She like there are so many moments, especially in the beginning of this book, where Aragon's upset and Safira's just like, Yes, let's go. Let's kill. I wanna kill. Right. You know, and let's rip them to pieces. That was another thing in this book that was just nice and refreshing. It wasn't just this old dragon that's constantly reprimanding Aragon Aragon. I keep wanting to say Aragorn. I know, it's me that, too. That keeps that I am glad that it's not this dragon that it, it really helped to reinforce the bond that they had because I feel like with some dragon stuff that I've read or dragon movies or whatever, like the dragon is like almost like put on this like mental spiritual pedestal. And there's a certain separation between the dragon and the, uh, ent- the other entity or person that they're trying to bond with, you know, and that can be interesting, but I think in this specific book, it's really cool that they share a lot of the same temperament. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're like different enough that they fill in some gaps for it. Well, I don't really know what gaps Aragon's feeding in for Safira, but she's different enough than him that she kind of smooths out some of the rough edges, or maybe we could even call them the youthful 15-year-old edges that he has when he's just kind of being a complainer or reactionally emotional to things that you're like, ah, man, that's not really very reasonable or like wise, even if it is, you know? Um, so yeah, she was an excellent... And she also has this animalistic like savageness to her a nature that you're just like yeah you know that yeah. made it very believable she's like unpredictable mm-hmm. it's cool um another notice that i had was um and you know this is this isn't a lot of fantasy books obviously but um there's like a lot of moments where during those conversations that brahm and aragorn aragon were having like aragon would ask a question about something and then Brom would kind of shake his head and be like, oh, that that hasn't been seen for like thousands of years. There's no you're never going to see something like that ever. There's, there's no way. And it's like me as a reader. I'm just like, I have a feeling we're going to see that at yeah. some point pretty soon. Like, like not oh, even subtle foreshadowing. Oh, that there's no possible way you would ever attain the ability to do something like that. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Only Brom, the yeah. rarest. of yeah. <laughs> you're talking to the one in a billion person who had a dragon crack next to them like yeah i think we'll we might see some of this in this fantasy story which i'm excited about because um i think that one thing i would really love to see out of the second book is uh an even deeper dive into the lore and the world building and just kind of like the mechanics behind uh magic that would be really great Uh, Mm because it seems like in this book um the mechanics of magic is just aragon thinking really hard about it and expending some arbitrary amount of energy um right to be able the to only do thing it. that's kind of laid out clearly is like that once you commit you're yeah, there that and is, you can't yeah. pull back and i think that was a really cool scene where brahm had kind of reprimanded aragon and said like if you do this wrong you're gonna die you can't mess with this and there's even that part where i think it's a, like this band of urgles kind of um is looking for them and then aragon makes safira dive down to the ground in front of them 
and Safira is down <laughs> so okay with let's doing go that. and so they get down there and aragon throws them all like 12 of them force pushes really them. Hard. yeah and then i love that part afterwards though where brahm said you could have just sent stones through all of their heads and it wouldn't have taken as much energy as what you did and what you did was really dumb it was cool that brahm was advocating for him to <laughs> like kill them basically and aragon was not okay with that but I think that that's probably part of Aragon's, um, like maybe arc. I would like to see that more in the second and third book too. Is he seems like very unwilling to do things that are what he would consider to be overkill. Yeah, he has but a it's, very high respect for life. Yeah, but it's also he was he. This whole journey started with him wanting to go and kill a bunch of Razak at the same right. time. So it's got to be really justified for him to to do that. Um, is another good example is the, the when him and um, Murtag get in yeah. an argument in the desert because Murtag cuts off that um, slaver's head, True. and like what did you think about that? Because I thought Murtag was I thought it was a good call. I don't know that, that guy would have killed call. them. I think even Brom says like if someone's gonna kill you, you know if it's a choice between you and somebody else. And I don't know I was on Murtag's side with that absolutely. I mean, like and Sephira kind of oh good. The guy was definitely, if not going to enslave you, definitely going to kill you, you know? So, yes. I don't know. Or and the they know that they have an elf with him. Like, he's a high-ticket capture for these slavers. Yeah. And and Safira even um, kind of chastises Aragon because he's like, you know, he was helpless on the ground because the guy had already been knocked down. He wasn't like, it wasn't like during a fight. It was like this guy was on his ground being like, oh, no, I lost. And then Murtaugh's like, decapitated. And Safira was like, yeah, but like, what's really the difference between him being on the ground and it being not okay just because he couldn't properly oh, defend himself? Yeah, and if it was in the that. middle of the fight, he just whopped off his head, which you wouldn't have had a problem with Aragon. So it's kind of like you're making a distinction without a difference, really, and kind of putting something on your friend that you really shouldn't. But Aragon doesn't even seem to get it because later on he tells Murtaugh to do something and he's like, and this will be your redemption for killing, for murdering that guy, you know? <laughs> Murtaugh's just like, let it go. Oh. The guy was going <laughs> to yeah. kill us. I have another question here. Uh, Brom tells Aragon, I think in Tyrim, when they're visiting, uh, when they're trying to get like the, um, those forms that say where that poison had been bought or whatever. Right, the records. Yeah, um, so Brom tells Aragon he might have to be prepared to die for what he believes in. Mm. It's, I thought that was an odd place to put that conversation because I don't, I don't think it was a bad place to put it, but um, I feel like at this early point in this book and in this story, I don't think Aragon really does believe in anything. Like the politics of this situation hasn't really been laid out for Aragon by Brom in a way that I felt like Brom could force that kind of decision on him or even force the the taste of that decision onto him you know it just it felt yeah. like a weird thing for brahm to say because um, it's not wrong right but it seems like an odd expectation to put at somebody's feet when they don't even know the lay of the land i mean obviously the empire the big scary empire is doing bad things but aragon has never even seen the varden doesn't know anything about what the varden are about right. at this point has... doesn't know brahm's connection to the right varden. exactly so that's just i i mean I, I i get it i get why it was used right there because brahm was about to die so it's like a nice thing to put right there obviously but yeah i don't know that just seemed seemed weird because aragon doesn't know anything <laughs> right doesn't know anything. I, I think it was almost more for like our sake as the reader to be like mm. when brahm dies we can be like he was willing to go down for what he believed in and so it was like not such a blow or something like that i, oh, I don't know yeah well and aragon eventually does have to make that decision right i mean right but he kind of just joins the varden because they're like there <laughs> yeah and, you know Brom is like he wouldn't have joined the empire though you know right but there was right. a third option of just bowing out completely but i think that in it with regard to the writers i don't think the writers can do that and so aragon has been very much thrust into this position that's why i kind of like brought up earlier about like his reaction to everything i think it was pretty uh, impressive because he really has been tossed into this political landscape as not only a, a fighter but as a very key kind of person 
that fits into all of this. Yeah, you know, and there's like a conversation between Jode and Rom that Aragon like secretly magically overhears where Rom is like, oh, Ajihad will eat him alive. And like, he's not, not ready. And it was like, man, okay, so he's not ready for the politics and to face that, but he's ready to fight the Raz. I don't know. I kind of was a little annoyed by, I mean, it was a cool story story element to keep Brahms past mysterious, but it was seemed a little pointless when we did learn like what would have been the harm of Brahm telling Aragon like, yeah, I was a writer. My dragon was named Saphira. That's why I know this stuff. Also, I am on this like mission my whole life to do exactly what I'm doing right now. And like, I probably know. would have it was... made it a lot easier for Aragon to listen to him too. Yeah. He would have, I mean, he, I'm sure he already respected Brom and saw him as a very close friend, but there'd be like that kind of added authority of Brom saying, totally. I am a dragon rider. I was hiding out essentially and nobody knew, but I'm going to train you how to be a dragon, not just some guy that knows some stuff about right. dragon riders. Yeah. Yeah, so Aragon even brings that up multiple times. He's like, so how do you know all this magic? How do you know? And Brahm's like, well, you know, anyone could learn it. It'd just be harder without <laughs> the dragon. Harder. It's like, man, well, you didn't do that, though. You were actually a dragon rider. It might have given him a little more um, credence where Aragon was concerned if he had also gone through the experience. Speaking of Speaking of dragon riders... Would you be cool with a dragon always sharing a mental link with you? I mean, I, I know that they can sort of turn it off, it seems. Like, they can kind of disconnect from each other. But kind of even... But not oh, really, on, though. But yeah, right. uh, but like I feel like I wouldn't want a dragon if it meant we were consistently in each other's heads. I don't know. Yeah. How would you feel about that? Man, it's a real breach of privacy. You know, I mean, it's really awesome. But like, there's times when Aragon is like, he meets up with Sephira... And Saphir will like ask him a question about his plan that he has like not even explained to Saphir and, and Aragon will even remark like, I'm not surprised that she knows what I'm trying to do here because she's like, it's really hard to keep things from her. It just seems like it would lead to some uncomfortable situations. Yeah, thinking, absolutely. Like my own head, you know, and 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 they bring that up and kind of uh, tackle that when Saphira is like, so do you like her form? You know, talking about Arya and getting a little jealous. I'm glad they threw that in there. I don't know. I just I I don't really care how cosmically connected to something or someone I am. I still want my own headspace. Privacy. That's it's yeah. a pretty it's a huge breach. Uh, yeah, even we can though be it is cool. Jerks initially in our brains when it's like we don't actually become those jerks or are or live that out or act those out, but sometimes like knee jerk thoughts you need are your space. terrible. Yeah, before you, <laughs> yeah, it's like it's almost taking away your ability to think before you say something. Right. Like, I feel like in that situation, you'd be like constantly hurting another person's feelings, like accidentally, just because of just random things that you think that you or misunderstandings that you have without getting clarity or something. Um, I feel like that would hinder that relationship just as much as it would help it, you know. But I, mm -hmm. I understand, like for the purposes of uh, like combat and strategy and things like that, that a writer and dragon would very much be benefited by by being able to share like that kind of mental link. At the same time, uh, when they're not in combat or trying to strategize, I feel like I'd just be like, all right, you're, you're, you're shut off, you're clicked off until it's time for us to fight again. Yeah, I totally see where you're coming from. It would be rough to... Man, especially I've being like got... a 15 year old boy and like growing know, up, like right? there's a lot of mistakes, <laughs> thoughts that you have at that age that you're like, oh, I'm really glad that no one was in my brain to realize how much <laughs> of a fool I was, you know? Yeah, but you know what? To be fair, I've never been offered a cosmic astral connection with a legendary dragon. So I guess hit me up true. when that situation really does arise and maybe I'll change <laughs> my mind. Very true. And like the power that uh, he is offered. Okay, I got a question for you about some characters here. What did you think about the twins? Like, are they obviously the traitors here? And no, or what's going on with them? I don't. I, I could be so wrong about this, but they never struck me as super malevolent. You know? Um, really? No, not. I mean, they did. It seems pretty malevolent. I don't like, know, though. Enjoying I, ripping into his conscience and like he he wants me to fight. They yeah, want but me to fight. They're in that compound. They've been allowed into this space for a reason, though. You know, they seem to they probably have some kind of like utility 
Well, they're just the I strongest was... magic users. Yeah, but that's kind of just like what I was thinking, like while reading it. I just it felt like it was more complicated than just like they're being mean to Aragon. That could be the the situation, of course, but I don't know. Um, I'd like to see more of them in the second book. Did you read the? Um, and you can cut this out. Uh, but did you read the afterward? That's no. like the first couple pages of the next book. No. Uh, some shit goes down like right away. Oh, cool. Yeah. That kind of pertains to them a little, but they're involved anyway. Um. I, I don't know. I feel like, especially considering this book was written by um, someone so young, I feel like they're we're, we're obviously led to hate them, and I feel like they're definitely going to be the traitors. I don't remember honestly, um, but I feel like just from the way the story is, it's, it's not it subtle. A little too and I feel obvious. like they're going to be traitors. I know, but I, I just feel like they're going to be. be traitors. <laughs> I feel like it'd be cooler if like Ajihad was. The leader of the Varden? Yeah, like something like that would be that would that would shake some stuff up, you know? Like not just like the obviously evil magic users over here, but we'll see. I don't know. I don't I've never read the second one. Here's one that's a little more subtle. Um and I and I honestly don't remember this either, but um Nasuada, his daughter, was kind of thrown in there in a weird way, and like some attention is given to her. Um, especially it's like mentioned that uh, Ajihad is furious with her because he ordered her to leave, but she stayed and fought, pulled a uh, Aowen, yeah, and uh, which is great. But like, I don't, I don't know. I've got suspicions about her too. What are your thoughts? Oh, I don't at all. No, no. Well, I mean, um, maybe. No, she doesn't. She no. I, we didn't really spend that much time with her, so maybe. Do you think that there's going to be some kind of betrayal or something? Oh yeah. You, okay. Yeah. Because I mean, it's it's prophesied by Angela that there will be some sort of yeah. betrayal. Yeah, that's and true. then there's like mentioned multiple times, like there's a traitor in our midst. Like one Jode, right. yeah, he says like my ships are keep like someone knows about my ships and who are the people helping the the. Um, I was surprised that that wasn't more expanded on. That was an interesting little tidbit that Jode was talking about, and then they totally. kind of didn't talk about it again. And I was like, wait, that's really sketchy. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of moved on, and I guess it just becomes part of the the larger narrative or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I said, you know, I feel like Brom holding back his information about like even where to find the Varden. Like he obviously knew where they were, but when he dies, he doesn't be like, "Hey, go here." These people, like, oh yeah, that would have been a really good call, actually. Yeah, his blessing like, was nice though. His blessing was really nice, yeah. And I really liked his burial and the crystal Sephira, Yeah, doing the crystal thing. I, I kind of liked the the blessing that Aragon gives to the child as yeah, well. That was and then cool. she gets like a dragon mark on the infant's forehead, and then Sephira's like, okay, huff huff. No, no, not without me. And then gives her like her blessing as well. And then that was a really good way of showcasing just like, the kind of person that Aragon is, but also the fact that he's still kind of new to all of this. He doesn't really know the repercussions of doing something like this. you know. Right, and he even says, have... like, it's meaningless. And Sphere's like, no, do you no. think that baby is going to, like, can be content to be a farmer or an innkeeper no, now? Like, no, but maybe Maybe that's good, though. Let's get some, some more warriors up in here. Uh, and I wonder if the story will progress long enough that that child will become a full-grown person or at least old enough that we see them be woven back into this tale somehow as we start kind of wrapping up like this is a it's gonna be a fairly short episode um this is a fairly straightforward book um not too much to pick apart here but i do want to i'd be remiss if i didn't mention this because it's my Mm -hmm. only chance and i think you might know what i'm going to talk about here but the movie <laughs> the Aragon oh, I thought you were movie. going in a different direction with oh, this. Oh no, the Aragon movie. I think I need to watch it again and really Me now too. that I I think I need to watch it cuz I liked it. I thought I remember liking it. I haven't watched it in a really long time. But oh no, I think I watched it a couple years ago. Anyway, uh I think I need to watch it right after having read this and really paid attention and like taken notes and stuff on it and then watch the movie and just kind of do a <laughs> do a little comparison cuz I remember like people were really mad about it. I was really mad. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but I mean, I could have been looking at through like a, like at that point in my life, it's kind of cool sometimes to hate the movie. Like, be like, I'm such a, I'm such a, like, you know, um, 
purist that the book was so much better and it's like i don't know i could have been seeing it through kind of like the oh you the, mean it's like fashionable to, to do cool. that yeah, yeah i want to be fashionable by hating it so it's like i'm wondering now if that's the filter that i was looking through and i unfairly judged the movie because of that well it depends on why you didn't like it right because um i think that a lot of people seem to take an issue with it because it was it was too fast like it it, it yeah just, it, it completely jumps over whole sections of this book like i don't think they go to tirum and talk to jode and Dude, I don't think Angela and the cat are in it. That could be wrong. By but the I'm... end of the movie, I remember the love situation, the romance being like way more advanced than like pushing I mean, it's it. Like, like it's barely even a thing right now, you know? No, he's, he's just, just kind, kind of a crush. In... Yeah, exactly. It's like barely a crush. He doesn't he yeah. doesn't even know what's going on. Um so and I like that. That was cool. I like that a lot. Um mm -hmm. and Angela tells him too, you're gonna be in some kind of like situationship with somebody situationship uh, with someone who's a far above your station totally. basically um but yeah Though, I don't we don't know. know who his parents are so maybe there's some hidden uh do you think that they're gonna make a like a long form tv show out of this someday because obviously the movie you know didn't do great but this is a good story i could see them doing it I could see them doing it too. And yeah. I mean I'm kind of surprised that they didn't haven't already especially after Game of Thrones was so large and and well ex widely accepted because like dragons are in and they're only going to like vampires and other things that kind of have their their wave of popularity i'm surprised they didn't Man, throw this in there you know with, can you imagine this with like a game of thrones budget or a house of the dragon oh. budget with the way that they could cg dragons right now and the sound design yeah. and everything Safira because Safira in the movie i mean i love emily vice but Safira like the <laughs> It doesn't look good. <laughs> no, it's a little snub-nosed and kind of like dweeby looking almost. I listened to uh, the audiobook for like the, the last half of this. Oh, yeah. Who was the reader? Gerard Doyle is the narrator. Um, and it's funny because he does a pretty good job. It's, it's not a bad narrator at all. But for Safira, he does like this this kind of like, Aragon, you need what? to get out of here. And I don't know why he does like. I mean, I don't know why you wouldn't, I guess, too, because he's like doing... Like a He's 45 not... year old smoker. Ever <laughs> God, you need to go down to the corner store and buy me some palm oils. <laughs> buy me some palm oils. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wasn't like that, but it was like very like throaty and low. Um, mm. But I guess it makes sense though, because like Safira is first and foremost like a, a, a legendary like dragon. I think that's kind of like what he was trying to do. I don't think he was trying to do like a like an overly like feminine voiced dragon. I guess it makes yeah. sense that you wouldn't need to do that. You know, but still it was, a gruff like rasp no it was funny I, though I yeah like, like the first clear... time Safira talked he was just like oh my god and I, <laughs> I was like wait what why'd you wait. do it like that but whatever it's fine yeah <laughs> i really liked the words of wisdom that garrow gives to Rorin and aragon prior to Rorin leaving and i'm gonna read them here he's like I have words for both of you. It's time I said them as you're entering the world. Heed them as they will serve you well. And it kind of, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of foreshadowing built into it. He says, first, let no one rule your mind or body. Take special care that your thoughts remain unfettered. One may be a free man and yet be bound tighter than a slave. Give men your ear, but not your heart. Show oh, respect wait. for those in power, but don't follow them blindly. Judge with logic and reason, but comment not. Yeah, that's um, very that that relates very much to uh, <laughs> that's very relevant to Aragon's situation for sure. Yeah, I think he takes that to heart. Totally. And then he con continues on. He says, "Consider none your superior, whatever their rank or station in life. Treat all fairly, or they will seek revenge. Be careful with your money. Hold fast to your belief, and others will listen. Of the affairs of love, my only advice is to be honest. That's your most powerful tool to unlock a heart or gain forgiveness." Uh, uh, I thought those were All pretty, right. yeah. pretty wise I words. I can't really argue with any of that. Right. I mean, maybe so, if you're like in the army, you should probably, like if someone's ranked above you, I think you'll get kicked out if you don't. Right. Like maybe you should consider <laughs> some your superior. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I you think know, you respect. meant it in a different way. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, I wonder if, you know, he says like, first let no one rule your mind or body. And you could, you could definitely say that Aragon has kind of immediately betrayed that rule by by linking mentally forevermore with a dragon, you know. But it's like hmm, they it's, obviously are tightly bound and yeah. Have each other's so Fira doesn't rule. 
I think the the word the key word there would be rule, right? I mean, Safira doesn't rule sure. Aragon's mind. It's 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 definitely um, not unfettered, I guess. Yes. Um, but yeah, I kind of thought that as you were saying it, and <laughs> but yeah, it's fine. Uh, I thought it was a little funny that during the chasing of the Razak, they don't set a watch when they're sleeping, like ever until they get to Tyrim and beyond. And I was like, what? Like, that's the first time they mention is like when the night that um, that Aragon is struck and they get captured briefly by the Razak. He's like, tonight we're going to have to set a watch. It's like, it's insane to me that you guys haven't been setting a watch this whole time. Well, you know? wasn't, wasn't his rationale behind it was because they had they had the hunter had become the hunted at that point. I think that's why. They hadn't so yeah. I mean it would have been a smart idea. I'm not disagreeing with you. It would have been a smart idea yeah. regardless, because Brom clearly knew that there were Razak and Urgals like all over the place. Right. And Aragon even mentions to himself when he's thinking, he's like, Oh, they might have killed Garo just as a way to get me to like lure me out into following them, you know? And it was like, man, they could just turn turn the old switcheroo. <laughs> man, it'd be really cool if somebody would write a story that starts out this way. And then Aragon, or the the character that would in in Aragon's place, the main character, learns all this information, goes through this entire quest, and then sides with the evil empire. Yeah, that would be so cool. And I'm not trying to knock this because I have like a, a feeling... Breaking Bad version of Aragon, <laughs> <laughs> or just like ah, they make a pretty compelling argument, and I'm actually not that great of a guy. So, uh, yep, you know. Uh, Let's let's do it. Let's go. Yeah, you know what? I'm in uh, it for power, glory. <laughs> actually, riches, I I am in it to power. rule the universe. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I will come to your side and rule the universe at your side as father and son. That sounds great. Mm-hmm. Is Galvatorix Aragon's dad? Don't answer that. I'm just I'm just saying it out loud to get it. I honestly catalog. don't remember. Okay, so I'm predicting that that Galvatorix is Aragon's dad. Um, yeah. Or he finds out that Brom was his dad. Um, but I don't oh. think that's true i feel like brom would have told him as he was dying but he's somebody's son because like yeah brom is obviously knew a whole lot about his mom and like too much brom brom knew, knows who's his dad i think it's galatorix but we'll find out as we keep reading right. these books everybody thank you so much for listening to our first episode for inheritance chad and i've been meaning to get to this series for a while and i know that this series is very near and dear to a lot of people's hearts uh, a lot of people read this when they were younger these are very very important books to people so thank you for giving chad and i the opportunity to go through these at length and kind of dissect them i'm already having a blast with this and i can't wait to get into the, into the second book and I can't, uh, I can't not hype the fact that we have uh, Christopher Paolini himself coming on once we're done with this uh, read through to be interviewed by us, which I'm really excited for. So thank you everyone for sticking with us. And I hope you're also looking forward to the tasty treat of interviewing Mr. Paolini at the end, because that will be fun. Everybody, thank you so much for joining us for this episode. We look forward to having you on the next ones. I hope you all have an awesome rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Bye, everybody.